Well, good morning, Fellowship Church friends and guests. Welcome to worship this morning as we gather together. I want to invite you to take pause a minute and think through maybe you're coming off of a really busy week behind us or perhaps a stressful week ahead. Perhaps you've had even tough conversations in the car on the way over here this morning. There's lots of stuff going on in our world, and so I would invite you to simply take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out. I want to invite you to hear some words from the book that we love, Psalm chapter 90, and we're going to offer it as a prayer and our call to worship this morning. Let's do that. Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Meanwhile, our days, they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. So teach us, O oh God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning, even this morning, with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. And to that end, we pray, O oh God, that your favor would rest on us and that you would establish the work of our hands and receive our worship this morning. We pray this in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand. Let's worship together. Oh, my. 
God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Trusting in God's faithfulness and compassion, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Have mercy on us, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, wash and cleanse us from our sin. Against you, you alone have we sinned. Surely we were sinful at birth, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught us wisdom in that secret place. Create in us pure hearts, O God and renew steadfast spirits within us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us willing spirits to sustain us. We offer our broken spirits, broken and contrite hearts, O God, you will not despise. to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Thank you, worship team. The Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. Good morning. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, first off, welcome. We are glad that you are here. And second, if you want to learn more about what's happening at Fellowship Church and the ways in which God is moving here, we encourage you to consider uh, signing up for this Wednesday is our first Discover Fellowship class. Uh, and that'll be on Wednesday nights for about an hour for the next three uh, Wednesdays. Uh, and that's a opportunity for folks to learn more about the ministry of Fellowship Church, but also potentially take that next step uh, in becoming an uh, official member. But you, you, you know what I mean. Uh, but that's a great opportunity to get to know some more people at Fellowship Church. Speaking of getting to know uh, some folks, uh, there's a couple really cool opportunities uh, in our bulletin uh, that help you uh, figure out some ways in which you can uh, use the gifts that God has given you to serve and get to know other people. Uh, and I want to highlight two of them. Uh, one of them is starting next Sunday morning, and it will be for every Sunday in the month of October. We're going to do kind of a mental health awareness month here at Fellowship Church. You might have heard of the challenges our uh, nation and our country face around mental health. And so we're going to do a little introductory courses, uh, workshops, we're calling them, on mental health issues. Uh, it's just an opportunity for you to learn more. It's nothing, there's no prescription or no signups needed. Uh, just show up uh, and there'll be a number of issues. The first one is kind of mental health, physical health, and boundaries. And that'll be next Sunday morning. And then there's uh, a number of other ones you can look at in your ministry guide. Uh, there's, there's some at the Welcome Center if you want to learn more about what's happening with the mental health workshops. The second one is a really cool opportunity that's a one-time deal, and that's next Friday, not this coming Friday, but the following Friday, our very own Justine Marimbe, uh, one of our refugee families that's uh, become a part of Fellowship Church. Uh, her and her family have been... Uh, uh, oh, mm, 
I don't know, partnering with Habitat for Humanity, and she's got a new house that's being built right now by Habitat for Humanity, uh, and she needs to fill out so many service hours. And so we said, as a church, the deacons were like, let's come alongside Justine and give her some volunteer hours. So on Friday, October 8, uh, we'll be having afternoon and afternoon or morning and afternoon shifts, and you can come alongside of some other fellowship folks and helping Justine get her volunteer hours and, and build her house. How cool is that? Uh, a house that she'll call her own for uh, many years to come, we hope. Well, these are just a couple of the opportunities that are highlighted in the bulletin this week. There's more there and in the ministry guide, um, but ideally and hopefully there are ways for us uh, to become uh, more and more like Jesus together uh, as a community. Uh, one of the ways uh, in which we're highlighting that this fall semester is through some videos that give us a chance to get to know some of the other people we worship with. So check out this video uh, from, about Re- from Regan Harms uh, and a little bit of the ways in which God's working in her story. My name is Regan Harms. I have been attending fellowship for one year now, and I am a seminary intern here at the church. An and pairing that is important to me in my life is Mary and Martha. I am actually a consultant for an independent Christian decor company called Mary and Martha. Um, So Mary focused on sitting at the feet of Jesus and dwelling in his presence, and Martha focused on serving Jesus in that moment and wanting to be that faithful servant. So often in our lives, we are focused on how, if we're a Mary or a Martha, and we are working ourselves to the end and don't have time for that time to just sit and dwell in the presence of the Lord. We don't have that Sabbath, that time to rest and recover. And that's why it's so important to have that balance between the Martha of the world, the service, and the Mary, which is the resting and the dwelling. A way that I balance my own identity with Mary and Martha is has a lot to do with my student life. Um, so I'm a student at Western Theological Seminary, and I also have a part-time job, and I'm also an intern here. So my schedule is bonkers throughout the week. Um, I often forget to rest, and so this year specifically, I became intentional with the idea of setting aside a day where I can just let my schedule be whatever it is. I can rest, I can live into that time with God um, and truly find that peace throughout the week. Another way is I am a part of the Better Together Bible study on Wednesday nights and it's a time where we just play with scripture and have fun with it and there's no pressure to have the right answers. There's There's no grade that I'm working towards, there's no expectation for what I have to be presenting to the table. I can truly listen to what God is trying to say to me in those moments.
Something that is really important with the Mary and Martha company that I work for is we want to invite these women into our homes and build that community with them and serve them, but also dwell in that time together and build relationships and loving on these people. That's actually something that drew me to this. Um, I wanted to have that community of believers that I was surrounded by in everything that I did and have that support system. And that is something that can truly be reflected in our church. Um, we want to be a space where people can feel like they truly belong and can truly be who they are. Something I feel that Mary and Martha both have in common is they both loved Jesus fully. They both saw who he was and wanted to serve him and love him in the best that they could, but they both had different ideas of what that looked like. But Jesus gently reminded them that both ways are important and how we need to live into that and and live into learning how to love and dwell, but also how to serve. This morning as we seek to dwell, even as we set aside this hour to be together in gathered worship, um, we approach the point where we hear God's word preached and read. So this next song, we invite you to just let the lyrics and the music wash over you um, and make this our prayer that God would speak into our hearts and that we would hear God speaking to us. Slow me down, oh Lord, slow me down. Help my heart to hear your sound. Speak into my life, Lord, speak now. Slow me down, oh Lord. Slow me down, clear my mind, oh Lord, clear my mind, bring me peace that I cannot find, take my word.
kids ages three through fifth grade can head to their worship spaces to hear God's word. Well, friends, one of the things we're celebrating this morning at Fellowship Church is that we are a teaching church and a learning church. And you notice that even as we just saw Reagan in a video and she named herself as an intern. We have a long habit of having interns here at Fellowship Church. And we hope that uh, they learn and develop and grow with us, even as we do so also with them. So we're grateful for Reagan and her life in our midst. But then also, even as Jackson wanders off stage here, he is a kind of previous intern and in his final year of learning as well at Western Seminary as he prepares also uh, to gain an MDiv and wherever the Lord takes him with that, alongside his wife as well. So uh, we celebrate these things, past and even future uh, interns that we have together while we both teach and learn together. It is another one of our ands that we do. Also, alongside of that, we're celebrating our partnership with Western Theological Seminary, and so we have a guest preacher with us this morning. Han Luen, would you please come forward with me just a minute? Uh, Han Luen is our guest preacher here this morning, coming from our ministry partner, Western Seminary, just down the road, and we're thrilled that uh, that the school is so close and that she is willing to join us here. Han Luen is a wonderful uh, professor there. I've heard only good things about her as she's uh, been at the seminary. And one of the things I notice is that if you look her up officially, you'll see that there are the credentials that are very impressive. Educated at Wheaton and then Princeton Theological Seminary, and then Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, which are very wonderful, and we expect that you will bring that to us. Um, but I also know that you're very personable and that you are a great joy to be around so that whenever I mention her name to others, including even to our intern, Reagan, the response is, oh, I love her. She is the best. And then she goes on to tell a story about the beginning of this school year and an inflatable obstacle course where the two of you were pitted against each other and ended up tumbling across the finishing line together. Uh, it's a, a beautiful mix that you bring to the table. She is professor at the seminary, associate professor of church history and theology, and so we're grateful for her person and her gifts that she comes to bring to us here at Fellowship. Can I pray before you preach? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you eager to hear a word from you and from your word, and excited that it can come through your servant, Han Luen. We ask that you would bless her and her words that they may be your words to us, and that they may equip us to be your people in this world. So give her comfort and joy in leading us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Ross, for that warm introduction. And 
Reagan is being very gracious. She was kind of in the lead, and I grabbed onto her and pulled her back, and so she was, yeah, she was representing the students very well in that competition. It's such a pleasure to be here with you all. Western Theological Seminary and Fellowship have had a beautiful partnership for many years. We've sent on some of our best and most illustrious uh, graduates to be pastors here, and we are so grateful for your care as a congregation for so many of our beloved students. Um, Emily Rosendahl, I just ran into, and Jackson and Hannah, Reagan, we're, thank you so much. We're so grateful for your care for these wonderful, wonderful students. And now let us hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Jacob's dream at Bethel raises a lot of fascinating questions. What does the latter mean? What do we learn from the dream about who God is and God's plan for the world? But today I'd like to steer our attention away from the flashy content of Jacob's dream and even away from the beautiful blessing he receives to consider the scene of this story. The scene pulls back the curtain on an important question. How does God come to us? To reflect on this big question, let's ask three concrete questions about the encounter Jacob has with God. Where did it happen? Why did it happen at that place particularly? And when did it happen? Three phrases from the passage will guide us. 
at a certain place because the sun had set and he dreamed. Let's start with a bit of background. Our passage for today begins, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Previously on Pranks of the Patriarchs, Jacob had bought his twin brother Esau's birthright with a bowl of soup and then stolen his father's blessing by disguising himself as his elder brother Esau. Now Jacob's parents have sent him to Haran where his mother Rebekah's brother Laban is to wait it out until Esau's anger cools and also to find a wife from his parents' ancestral homeland. Little does he know, he is heading for a direct encounter with God, the very God whose blessing he has gone to such great lengths to extract from his family members. It's in the middle of this emergency trip, running away from broken relationships behind him and setting out on a long trip that he hopes will lead to love, that we find Jacob in this part of the Bible story. Jacob has no idea just how long his journey will be. He will not return for over 14 long years. But in today's part of the story, Jacob, as Jacob continues his journey of fleeing and seeking, something entirely unbelievable and unexpected happens. God shows up. So first, where did it happen? We read in verse 11, he came to a certain place and stayed there for the night. This place would later be called Bethel, so named by Jacob himself to commemorate this occasion. But for now, it's just a certain place. In fact, the verb translated as he came in our version connotes a kind of randomness. More literally, it means something like he happened upon a certain place or he struck upon a certain place or even he chanced upon a certain place. It wasn't as if Jacob stopped at this location because it seemed interesting or important. We read further, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. Jacob is in the middle of nowhere with not so much as a spot to rest in comfort. In terms of Jacob's larger journey, this place is a kind of in-between space. It's just another way station on his pilgrimage, a simultaneous escape from his brother Esau and pursuit of a wife. The exciting places are the places he's just left, home, hearth, family, and the place he's bound for, finding a wife. Here, though, is nothing special. The point of being here is to get somewhere else. He still has a long way to go. It will take him about a month to reach his destination, but neither is he right at the start of the journey. He's about at the end of his second day, 60 miles or so into a 500-plus mile trip. He's in the thick of it. 
Perhaps we find ourselves in a similar location on this day, September 26, 2021. It's not really summer anymore, but neither have we really hit the full swing of fall. We're helping our kids through the third or fourth week of the school year, somewhere past the initial burst of energy and into the slog. We've been dealing with COVID. It's not new anymore, but nor can we really see the end. We're just in it, in the thick of it, trudging along as best we can and trying not to be overwhelmed by how far we still have to go. The point is, perhaps like some of us, Jacob isn't anywhere especially noteworthy or remarkable on its own account. He doesn't have the first day's freshness or the thrill of arrival. He's in a transitional space, an in-between space. He's not in a place where you expect something special to happen. In fact, we could say Jacob is in something of a rut. He's just betrayed his own brother and deceived his own father. And even his mother wants him to leave home for fear of his life. In short, in the words of John Calvin commenting on this passage, Jacob is in exile. He's alone, without family, without friends, and without even a proper place to lay his head. His location is one of complete isolation. Yet precisely here, at a run-of-the-mill place perfect only for passing through, a place so unimportant there's no lodging or even a building with a roof, a place so boring it doesn't even have a name, a place of loneliness, here in this place is where God shows up. God chooses to come in a particular place, in this particular place. He doesn't stay aloof and wait for Jacob to get to a more exciting and impressive stopping point or to surround himself with family and friends before making a grand entrance. No, God comes to Jacob at just the mundane, ordinary place where he happens to be in the middle of his journey and indeed in the middle of his brokenness. And that makes all the difference. Suddenly, Jacob's attitude is transformed because when God does appear to him in this otherwise nondescript locale, Jacob doesn't forget where he is as if his location were immaterial, but he suddenly fixates his attention on the ground beneath him. Upon awakening, he exclaims, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He goes on, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He then proceeds to build a monument on the spot and name it Bethel. Jacob thought the destination he was seeking was far in his future, and suddenly he realizes that he's found the destination right in the middle of his journey. This obscure stopping point, this rut, this place of loneliness actually is his destination. This place is an awesome place because this place 
has become the site of an encounter with the living God. Jacob's journey and destination are one at a certain place. Jacob doesn't have to arrive at the destination he's planning on to arrive at God's house. God comes to Jacob while he's on the road. Now on to our second question. Why did Jacob's encounter with God happen at Bethel, specifically? To consider this, we return to verse 11. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Who knows what frustration this single phrase, because the sun had set, may express. Jacob does not strike me as a man who liked to stop. This was a Jacob who was born darting his hand out to grasp his brother's heel. This was a Jacob who would work 14 years for Rachel. And this was a Jacob who would wrestle all night with the almighty God himself. Maybe go-getter and grasper that he was, he wanted to push on just a little bit further. This happens to human beings in big ways and in small ways, doesn't it? In small ways. Just one more chapter before I go to sleep. Just one more email to write. Just one more round. And in big ways. Almost 40. Or 30 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. And yet we have so much more to do. So many miles to go before I sleep, so many promises to keep. But we can't because dusk is coming. What about you? Do you struggle to stop with the small things? Do you know what it's like to be interrupted when you're trying to get somewhere? Maybe you're trying to get a promotion. Maybe you're trying to numb the pain with one more drink. Maybe you're simply trying to get the house clean. In so many of life's normal situations, it can be extremely annoying when some external factor enters the picture and forces us to stop. Sometimes the last thing we want is for the sun to set on what we're doing. And even if we have things together now, one day that sun is going to set on all of us, right? The light will die, however much we rage against it, and we'll have to come to a stop because the sun will go down. We'll probably have unfinished business with our loved ones, our projects, and in relationship to God. We probably won't, even at the end of our lives, should God grant us long life and good health, have arrived at quite the place we wanted to be in every area, but we will have to stop because the sun had set. Maybe in this story we see Jacob at such a moment, a moment of unwelcome interruption. Or maybe Jacob was just bone tired and all too grateful for a mandate from the setting sun to rest his weary head. He uses a stone for a pillow. Now, if it were up to me, I'd probably look around for something softer. 
Was he so desperate for rest that he just collapsed right where he was? Maybe you can identify with exhaustion. Maybe your struggle is not so much with stopping as it is a struggle to keep going. Maybe you're so tired, you're grateful at the prospect of the setting sun and a night of rest. However Jacob felt about it, whether it was reluctance or relief, it's clear that he stopped because of his constraints as a creature, because the sun had set. He didn't stop at the place where he would encounter God because of his amazing foresight or because he was determined to make it to this holy place or because he forced his way there against all odds by brute strength. Oddly enough, he had no idea what was coming and had landed at Bethel as a seeming function of chance, working through his human weakness. He couldn't see what was next. He couldn't keep going. He had to rest. And that was when God showed up. Well, almost. He fell asleep first. And this leads us to our third question. When did Jacob's encounter with God happen? In a word, while he dreamed. Consider this encounter with God, which happens while Jacob is sleeping, in contrast to other more famous stories about his attempts to get ahead. He bribes Esau for his birthright. He steals Isaac's blessing. He wrestles God. These stories showcase Jacob the go-getter, Jacob the Martha, we could maybe say. But this case, the first time he gets a blessing from God as opposed to from human beings is different. Elaborate preparations, we might even say offerings, were involved in the previous cases. A cooked meal, special clothing. And later, when Jacob famously wrestles with God, there will be a price to pay, an injury to his hip. But this time, he's passive receptive, literally asleep. Jacob is prone, he's down as far as he can go in the dust. He's resting at the mercy of Earth's elemental forces, sun and stone. We see him in terms of his most basic physical needs. I'm not suggesting that striving, struggle, and ambition are inherently bad. I will not throw Martha under the bus. In fact, Philippians tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and the Lord himself says, be perfect. The point is, rather, that God doesn't need us to wrestle with him in order to come to us, and that Jacob doesn't have to do that for God to come to him. Our effort is not a prerequisite for God to come to us. Before Jacob wrestled, he slept. He dreamed. A couple years ago, a friend of mine recommended a book to me called Why We Sleep. This book is an in-depth study of the benefits of sleep for the brain, for the body, and for mental health. My friend recounted how the high school he had attended in Fairfax, Virginia, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, ranked number one in the country this year, 
by US News and World Report. This high school now requires that all of its students read this book. Furthermore, the school has instituted a policy that if students are faced with a choice between completing their homework or going to sleep at a decent hour, they should choose sleep. Scientists of our age have recognized that sometimes our greatest potential can be unleashed, not by frenetic efforts to do more, but through rest. This biological fact about sleep serves as a metaphor for a profound spiritual reality. It's not that sleep is magical, but time and again, we find that amazing things can happen, not just when we dig in and push, 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 but also when we sit back, relax, let go, and leave it to God. I like how this unlikely principle is expressed in Isaiah. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Isn't it interesting that the very first time we see Jacob directly encountering God, it happens when this quintessential doer has been done in by a long and grueling journey, by family drama, by his own basic bodily needs. God comes to him while he sleeps. Just this week, I experienced my own very minor version of this dynamic. I found out not so long ago that my son, Kenneth, had four cavities. Oh, in all seriousness, this made me feel terrible, like a failure as a parent. And as the week went on, I found myself getting more and more anxious about it. I tried everything. I called my pediatrician aunt, who called her dentist friend from Denmark. I processed with my husband, my parents, my sister. I reached out to friends and scheduled a consultation with a pediatric dentist. And I did my best to exercise the stress away by running after the, beds, the kids went to bed each night um, before I went to sleep. But still, I was up to my eyeballs in anxiety. Finally, I decided to take some extra time to pray about this and some other causes of worry in my life. Obviously, I had prayed about the situation before, but this time, I consciously went through a number of different stressors, putting them before the Lord, sharing why they were bothering me so much, and surrendering each one to him, confessing my inability to make progress and my need for his help. Ta-da! For the first time in the whole week, I felt a sense of inner peace and calm. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think all the steps I took to respond to my minor crisis were, were bad. I think they were good to do. But no amount of doing would have been enough to get to a space of spiritual peace. What was needed for that was not doing more things or running more miles. What was needed was actually to cease doing, to pause, to receive care and love 
from the Lord. Sleep is a metaphor for what God can do when we stop, surrender, and receive. God came to Jacob as he dreamed. So to recap, we've considered three elements of today's story about how God comes to Jacob. Where did it happen at a certain place? Why did it happen at that place particularly? Because the sun had set. And when did it happen? As he dreamed. Together, these answers form an unmistakable pattern. God comes to Jacob in all of his human limitations. God comes to a specific place and a humble, boring, and difficult place at that. God comes to Jacob at this particular place because that is a place where Jacob's creaturely limits had placed him because he was there, he was there because the sun had set, because he had simply run out of time to keep going and could no longer see the way forward. And God comes to Jacob at this particular place while Jacob the grabber is gripped by sleep, while Jacob is at his most passive and vulnerable. God, in short, comes to Jacob by working through Jacob's limits as a finite human being. God's entry onto the stage of Jacob's life has the gritty particularity of genuine human experience. It happens at a certain place because the sun had set and as he dreamed. But to fast forward a bit, how does the story end? What effect does this encounter have on Jacob? After he wakes up, Jacob exclaims, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Then he goes on, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob suddenly sees a crucial connection he had missed before. On one level, the ground beneath his tired body is just a certain place, an ordinary place where an ordinary person has stopped to rest for the night. But now, Jacob realizes that this place is also something more. This place is Bethel, the very house of God, a holy place suffused with God's presence infinite and finite, heaven and earth, holy and humdrum, awesome and wearisome, destination and way station, home and exile, divine and human, have improbably, shockingly, but unmistakably converged. The curtain has been pulled back and Jacob has seen it in a breathtaking vision. And it's not just that these unlikely pairs have made contact. It's not just that they stand alongside each other like so many silos. It's even more radical than that. In stepping onto the human stage of Jacob's life, God has entered into his human reality. It's not just infinite and finite. It's the infinite in the finite. Not just heaven and earth, but the heavenly in the earthy, the holy in the humdrum, the awesome through the wearisome, the destination as the way station. It's God amid human limitations. So can we, with Jacob, 
recognize the gate of heaven, even in the humble places we do not first think to look? Can we learn to say with Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. God comes to Jacob at a certain place because the sun had set and as he dreams. What if God comes to us too, not in an abstract universal, but in a geographically specific location? What if he comes to us too, not only at times we have purposed, but at times of interruption in our projects and plans? What if he comes to us too, not first and foremost because of our effort, but while we are at rest? What if God, in other words, comes to us precisely in our dustiness, in our finitude, in our humanness, and even in our fallenness? Many generations after Jacob, one of his descendants would also experience God's awesome and intimate presence at a particular place. This person would also be rudely interrupted, cut short as the sky grew dark, marking the end of his wildly popular ministry only a few short years after it had begun. And this person would, in the most unexpected way, sleep with a stone for a pillow while God worked. But there was one great difference. The difference was that this person not only recognized a gate to God, this person said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. In the end, it's this gate and how this gate was opened while the sun hid at a certain place called Golgotha. And how Jesus Christ's body, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, dust of our dust, rested prone down for three days before rising again in a way that made unmistakably clear, surely the Lord is in this man. Surely this man was the son of God. That's what the centurion said, right? And I did not know it. It's this gate that shows us once and for all that Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel was not the odd exception, but an emblem of God's plans for us. God really does come in dust and in dirtiness. Jacob's vision is our vision too. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, in our response to the word of God being preached, I invite you to stand and let us fix our eyes on the one who we behold in Jesus. Of time, he who made every 
left his throne to wake as a child. He became like the least of us. Behold him, Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the glory, Lion. Oh, be still and behold. And now, and now, 
May the Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. <laughs>